We have been studying the book of Mark over the past 22 weeks. This is week 23 of our series in the book of Mark. We're going to read again a familiar story for folks that have spent any amount of time within the church or even just heard stories of, of Jesus, what he did during his time on earth. This should be a story that you have, have heard before, but hopefully tonight we'll bring some, some new life to it. This is Mark beginning uh, chapter 6, verse 45. It says, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's begin with a word of prayer uh, this evening. God, we ask that you would bring illumination. We ask that you would um, allow me to get out of the way. We ask that you would allow our hearts just to really be sensitive to the move of your spirit. God, the things that we have brought with us into this place, the stress, the anxiety, the difficulty, the suffering, God, we ask that you would meet us here. We ask that you would allow us to see your son in a new and vibrant way and that you would allow us to begin to trust in him with everything that we have. God, we are humbled for this life that you have called us to and we ask that you would continue to um, give us hope and give us peace and allow us to experience your forgiveness and grace each and every day. We pray things all humbly in your son's name. Amen. So our passage tonight begins with these Greek words, kai euthus. Everybody say kai euthus. Now this time with a little feeling, kai euthus. Okay, this phrase occurs, uh, particularly euthus, uh, this adjective or adverb occurs 51 times in the entire Greek New Testament. It occurs 41 times in the book of Mark. This is a, a word that Mark is using to structure his, his work, and he's trying to add pace to what he's saying. This is the shortest of the four Gospels, and this is a Gospel that's telling these stories one on top of another and just moving from this event to this event to this event to this event. And if you're, you're reading this text, even in English, it kind of takes your breath away a little bit because Jesus is doing and saying all these things, and he's just moving from this event to that event to this healing to that healing to this casting out of demon to this teaching to all these different things that are going on, and Mark is just piling up story after story after story after story after story to give us an image, a picture 
of who Jesus actually is. I wanna just read uh, the occurrences of this word in chapter one, just to give you a feeling of what's going on in this gospel. It says, and immediately as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And immediately there was in in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And immediately they left the synagogue. They entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told him about her immediately. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And after sternly warning him, he sent him away immediately. All throughout this story, it's just one event after another, one on top of another for, for Mark to try to explain who Jesus is. This was important because he was trying to bring this argument that Jesus is not just another run-of-the-mill prophet. Jesus was something completely and totally different. The way that N.T. Wright describes this is he says, Jesus is always healing and teaching, healing and teaching. The stakes are raised, demons are driven out, storms are stilled, then the feeding of the 5,000, which we looked at last week, and now walking on water. Then more healings and more. N.T. Wright poses this set of questions. When is it going to end? What's going to happen? Where is it all heading? So one of my favorite bands is a band called Explosions in the Sky. Uh, If any of you have ever seen the movie Friday Night Lights or watched the show Friday Night Lights, it has some of these sorts of anthems that begin very slowly and then they just start building and mounting. This is great study music when you're in that carol and you just want to leave the world behind and focus on that abnormal psychology or focus on that intro to education or whatever you guys are studying these days, who knows? It's like just this wall of sound that's building and building and building over time to this big, huge crescendo. And that's sort of what's happening in the book of Mark. One uh, reviewer of Explosions in the Sky says, the record's opening track, which is very subtly and nicely in the background, the aptly titled First Breath After Coma, serves as the perfect testament to this art rock mastery. It begins with a single lilting electric guitar note, miming the incessant nerve-wracking electrical beeps of a hospital heart monitor. As the shimmering guitar note settles into a steady groove, the echoing thump of a bass drum organically rises out of the shadowy mix, playing the pensive rhythm of a human heart. Each rhythmic line of the guitar and the drums gently coerce one another, cautiously teasing and intertwining until each one explodes into their own new forms. The electric guitar note gives birth to an incessant army of sparkling guitar melodies, while the calming bass drum motif morphs into the rollicking snare attack of a traditional marching beat. And all this takes place within the first four minutes. I love this album. This record just keeps building and growing and growing and growing and getting to this crescendo. And if you're reading the book of Mark, you can see this and feel this. It just keeps building from Jesus' baptism to his announcement of the kingdom to his healing miracles and all these different things that he's doing. We saw last week the feeding of the 5,000. He takes five loaves and two fish, 
breaks them, sends them out and feeds 5,000 men, not even counting the women and children. And now Jesus has sent his people ahead of him and he begins to walk on the water. It's building to this crescendo. But what's interesting in our chapter, in Mark chapter six, Mark includes this note. It says, they were completely amazed, speaking of the disciples, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't get it. Throughout this, all of these stories and all these things that they had seen with their own eyes and heard with their own ears, they're not understanding who Jesus is. Even as they're walking him walk on water, they don't understand. And what Mark does is he says, they don't get it because they didn't understand about the loaves. Now, this is interesting to me because in Matthew chapter 14, it tells this story in a different way. Um, this is the story of Jesus walking on water, but here we, we meet something that's a little bit more uh, Sunday school, something that many of you have heard, the account of Peter getting out of the boat. So it's, it's very similar up until the point where they're screaming, it's a ghost, and they were frightened, and they're, they're crying out, and then Jesus speaks to them saying, be encouraged, it's me, don't be afraid. And then Peter kind of pipes up out of nowhere and he says, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. Then Peter gets out of the boat and was walking on the water towards Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. He began to sink. He shouted, Lord, rescue me. This is, a, this is an event where we see um, the faith of Peter sort of waning and, and people have put a lot of stock into that. And a lot of times when you hear this story about Jesus walking on the water, it actually becomes more of a story about Peter and Peter's lack of faith. What's interesting here though is, it says Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him saying, you man of, of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? And then it says, and when Jesus and Peter climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. It's interesting because in Matthew, we see this whole story about Peter walking on the water and then his faith kind of collapses and he falls and, and Jesus has to save him. And then they get in the boat and everybody starts worshiping and saying, truly, you are the son of God. In Mark, however, Jesus kind of walks to them and wants to go by them and they start freaking out and then he jumps in the boat and it says, but they had no idea what was going on because they didn't understand the previous miracle that he did in the feeding of the 5,000. These two stories are kind of sitting there juxtaposed with different elements in them and asking different questions. The question that Mark wants to address is, who is Jesus, you've heard me say that time and time again. All these miracles are supposed to be reinforcing who this person is. He's very different than anyone else throughout human history. Within their religious system, Jesus, the things that he was teaching, the things that he was doing, the things that he was saying, they were totally and utterly radical. But even his own 12 disciples were not understanding what was going on. Last week, we looked at this feeding miracle, Jesus taking the five loaves and the two fish and then breaking them, blessing them, and then sending them out and allowing folks to eat, many people. And last week, it's important for us to kind of dip back into this because if, if Mark is saying they didn't get what was happening with Jesus walking on water because they didn't understand the, the miracle of the feeding, it's important for us to at least reinforce this, this miracle. Last week, one of the most important things that we saw in this text was the fact that this was happening during the time of Passover. There's a very casual, um, 
introduction of this element that when Jesus organizes the people, he sets them down on the mountainside where the green grass was. There's only a certain few months within this landscape where that could be happening. It was in the springtime, the time when these people were probably observing Passover, when they were looking back to the Exodus, when they were looking back to God delivering them, taking them out of slavery and oppression and forced servitude. When God had brought them past and through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, taking them out of one situation and then bringing them into in a sense, into life and into hope. We also see in that story back there in the background of the Exodus, there was also once they, the people walked through the Red Sea, which was a huge miracle, they get on the other side and they start complaining. They start saying, did you just bring us out here to die? How are we gonna eat food? How are we gonna have water to drink? And God begins to meet their needs. One of the ways that he meets their needs is by allowing them to have manna each and every day this bread from heaven, and we see Jesus in this miracle during this time of Passover that would have symbolized so much for the ancient audience and taking bread, breaking it, and feeding everyone as if to make them remember the past, the bread that was given to them each and every day. This is a picture of Jesus being the good shepherd who sees people in dire straits and wants to meet their needs and wants to comfort them and wants to be there for them and wants to be present and consistent with them. We can leave that image back in Exodus, but it's also important for us to move ahead because in the book of Mark, when Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he blesses it, it moves us forward to that last meal that he shares with his disciples before his crucifixion. At that meal, they're in the upper room and they're eating together and they're drinking together and Jesus takes the bread and it says that he breaks it and he blesses it and he passes it out amongst his friends the same sorts of words that are used in the feeding of the 5,000. So we see here this picture of Jesus in this miracle as one who is demonstrating himself to be good, who is demonstrating himself to be present, who is demonstrating himself to be the one who provides and cares and is, is involved in the lives of his people. I wanna pause there for a second. I know for some of you, that's a foreign concept because where you are, you feel alone and you feel hurt and you feel abandoned. But there's a subtle message within even this story. Jesus is with you. Jesus sees the people that need the shepherd and wants to be that and fill that role. And we see that in the feeding of the 5,000. But here we have to understand this in order to understand the story of Jesus walking on the water. Again, this is not just a cool party trick that Jesus is doing. Um, This is not just a miracle to for the sake of doing a miracle. There's lots of subtleties in this text that demonstrate so much richness um, that's going on here. For an ancient audience, they would have heard this, but for us, because we're so far removed from it, uh, it's a little bit more difficult. So here we we meet Jesus as immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. He's basically taking them and pushing them and saying, you guys go on ahead, I've got to stay here. Remember, for those of you that were here last week, before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus and his disciples were trying to get to a place where they could be alone, where they could pray, where they could kind of recharge, where they could just take a breath. They had been doing so much ministry and they had been healing people and teaching and doing all these things. They just wanted to sit and be, but when they showed up, there was people there that just needed Jesus to do what Jesus does. 
So this is the first opportunity where Jesus puts his disciples in a boat, sends them out, and then he begins to retreat. And, and it actually says, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, a lot of folks will try to do um, some undercover work with this because it doesn't just say he went up on a mountainside. It actually says he went up on the mountain to pray. So for some people, they would have heard hints of the past in this story. They would have heard, not necessarily Charlton Heston, but they would have thought about Moses. And when Moses got the 10 commandments, where did he go? Sinai, and he went up alone to meet God and Jesus is trying to retreat and to be alone and to pray and to spend time on the mountain. So here, most people would have heard these echoes of Moses and they would have heard these echoes of the Exodus and they would have heard echoes of Jesus being a figure of the past who was leading people toward redemption and towards hope and towards life. He continues, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. Catch this. The boat is in the middle of the lake. Some people would say maybe two miles, maybe three miles away from where Jesus is and he's on a mountain and then it says, and he saw the disciples. This is very strange for Jesus to be on the mountain in the middle of the night where it's dark and they didn't have floodlights and they didn't have little things on their boats to let people know where they were. This was Jesus on a mountain three miles away from his people and it says that he saw where they were, and not only does he see where they, where they were, but it says that he saw the disciples straining at the oars, or having to work hard at rowing, or making torturous progress. The verb that's used here is a very intense verb where these people are like rowing against all odds, rowing for their lives perhaps, rowing and not making any headway whatsoever, and Jesus, so far removed, sees them alone, in the dark, not going anywhere, and he's going to do something about it. I don't think it's necessarily fair for us to draw too many applications there, but I do think that it's at least the case, not just from this text, but other texts in particular. Sometimes it seems like we're in the middle of the lake, in the dark, alone, in the boat, making no headway whatsoever, and I want to at least subtly extend to you this idea that Jesus sees you. And not only does he see, but he wants to do something about it. The text continues, it says, shortly before dawn, and again, some people have put a lot of stock into this phrase because it's actually uh, around the fourth watch of the night. In Roman culture, they would break the night shifts from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. up into four distinct watches. This being the last one, the 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. watch. And if anyone has ever worked overnight shifts, you know that that can be the worst time of all time to be awake and to be doing your job. I was just talking to Evan last week on Labor Day. He's a police officer in Millsboro, and he had to go out and serve, I believe it was from two to six or some kind of crazy shift. And he said it's the worst shift because you're not quite awake and you're not quite ready for sleep and it just, it ruins everything. But here in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus is going out to them. One scholar says um, that this passage conveys a sense of hope that's symbolically reinforced by the fact that the miracle happens in the fourth watch of the night, the time when darkness is beginning to loosen its grip over the earth. That really great moment when all is dark and then you start to see the sun begin to shine. When that first ray breaks through the horizon and you know that it's okay. I don't know if this is just me. I don't think that it is. But like when I was a kid or even now, there's something less scary about 
the light. In the night, it seems like everything is is bad and crazy. When I was a kid, we had this uh, weird room off to the side that nobody ever went into, except on Christmas. We would go in there and open Christmas presents. Anybody have that room that was like, it was a room and it was really nice, but it was off to the side. You only went in there when special people were over. It's like that china that you break out for one day a year and you eat chicken cordon bleu. That's the special meal that you have. No? Okay, that got too specific. I'm sorry, I'm gonna back that up. There's this room off to the side in my parents' house and they had this little ficus. My mom loves fake trees and there was a ficus in the corner of this room. And I remember like I'd have to go around the corner and you'd see that room and then you'd go up the stairs and I would just sprint, like seriously sprint up the stairs because I didn't want to look in that room because the shadows and the darkness, it just, it freaked me out. This continued until I was about 15, 16, 17. I've, I'm sorry to admit that to you, but it's true. Uh, there's <laughs> something scary about the dark. Stay with me, guys, it's okay. Um, but here, what, what Joel Marcus is trying to say, the fact that this miracle is happening when the morning is breaking is important because it's demonstrating hope is on the horizon. It's gonna get even, even cooler here when we um, think through a couple of other things. It says that around this time, and it doesn't say if, if Jesus sees them and then immediately goes, or if Jesus sees them and then he waits. It's unclear about the timing of, of this whole episode. It does seem as though Jesus has been away from his folks for, for a little bit of time because it wouldn't have taken them 10 hours to cross this, this sea. But when this is happening, the fourth watch of the night, when the dawn is breaking and light is beginning to shine, uh, he went out to them walking on the lake. Again, this brings us back not to Charlton Heston, but to Moses and the Exodus because as Israel was leaving slavery, they were penned in. They had the Egyptians behind them. They were on the cliffs almost. They were up against the water and they they only had one place to go and it was the Red Sea. And for most people that were there and that were thinking rational people, they said, we're going to die. And then Moses parts the Red Sea and they cross on dry land. So some people would see Jesus walking on the water as another hint of Moses. He's not someone who is penned in or uh, without options. He's one who's even beginning to walk on the water and to defy all logic and science and all of these things. It's interesting too because in the passage in Exodus 14, that describes this Red Sea crossing. It says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into a dry land. The movie's a little off because it seems more like, puts his hand up and then immediately it parts, but biblically it doesn't seem like that's the case. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. This is the cool part. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea during the last watch of the night. The Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. At the last watch of the night, right before the sun begins to shine in the in the darkness and in, in the, the early hours, the same time in which Jesus is walking on the water to meet his disciples who are alone and afraid and seemingly without hope and without options. This question of who is Jesus is, is important. And as we've seen, there's some hints that Jesus is looking a lot like Moses. He's doing the things that Moses did, whether it's breaking the bread and feeding the 5,000 back 
like the Exodus with manna or it's uh, the Passover meal where they're celebrating this, this leaving Egypt to go to the promised land or it's the, the parting of the Red Sea. All of these little things are, are hinting that Jesus is the new Moses. But it goes beyond that. Somehow, N.T. Wright would say, somehow the remarkable things Jesus is doing point, in Mark's mind at least, to the truth that Jesus is the truly human one. Israel's Lord, who is to be the world's Lord, anticipating his rule over wind and wave, over bread and fish, the sovereignty that Israel believed the Messiah would have over the world. This is not just Jesus as Moses. This is Jesus as the one that they had been waiting for for centuries. This is Jesus as the one who would deliver them not to the promised land, but to the ultimate fulfillment of everything that God had planned for them. We talk about the kingdom a lot and how Jesus, when he showed up, he began announcing the kingdom. It's here, it's happening, it's through me. And some scholars have described this kingdom as God's dream for the world that's come true. And it's all happening in these moments with Jesus. This crescendo, this wall of sound that keeps building to demonstrate who Jesus is. N.T. Wright continues, Mark is offering Jesus to our startled imagination as the world's rightful king, long exiled, but now returned. He is, in Paul's language, the last Adam. From his time with the beasts in the wilderness, he is now striding the garden, putting things to right. Everything that's jacked up, Jesus is bringing to reconciliation, to restoration, to redemption. And these disciples have no concept of how to think through that. This text is not just a Jesus and Moses text. This is actually a text that's showing Jesus to be beyond Moses, well beyond Moses. I want to point some of these out. It says he was about to pass them by. This is really weird, isn't it? Jesus is on the mountain, sees his friends out in the boat, sees them out there struggling. He gets down from the mountain, starts walking on the water, and then he intends to just walk on by like, oh, hey, guys, see ya. That's great. I'm just going to keep going here. That's weird, isn't it? Why would Jesus be intending to pass by his friends that are in the boat in the middle of the lake that are just kind of rowing like, hey, 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 help us. Okay, I'll be the weird one. That kind of cracks me up. He wants to pass by them. Again, for a person that's thinking Old Testament language, what they're hearing is this. In Exodus 33, Moses is desperately pleading that God would show him his glory, but he can't handle it. And then the Lord says to him, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock and when my glory passes by. These are the same terms that are used. Moses couldn't handle the goodness and the glory of God, so he had to be tucked away in the cleft of a rock and then God passes on by and Moses sees his hinder parts. That's funny too, I mean, okay? Uh, But now Jesus is intending to walk by his disciples and just pass them by. And for people that were hearing Old Testament stories, they would be hearing Jesus is not just Moses. Jesus is something bigger and greater. Jesus is the very representation of who God is. And he's demonstrating this in everything that he's doing. 
It continues, the people start freaking out, admittedly so, much like when I see the ficus at my parents' house, I freak out and run upstairs, a little bit scarier because this is a, a ghost or whatever on, on, the, on the water. They start freaking out and Jesus speaks to them immediately, another use of that term here in Mark, and he says to them, take courage. It's okay. It is I. Now, if you're reading that in English, it's no big deal. It's just kind of like, take courage. It is I. Like that... Try to use that in casual conversation this week. I implore you to do that. When, when, it is I. Hello, it is I. Just try to sneak that in somewhere and see, like, hear the, the people respond to that because it's crazy talk. But for this audience, the terms that are used is this, ego a me. It's Greek. It's emphatic. It means I am. And again, for an ancient audience, what they would have heard is God. Remember that story where there's the burning bush and Moses is kind of walking up to it and the burning bush is like, take off your shoes, man. This is holy ground. Okay, okay, okay. Then the bush begins to have this conversation with Moses. You really have to be in the right place to read the Bible sometimes and see what's going on. But there's this really weird happening where um, Moses is wanting to understand who this person is and God reveals himself as, I am who I am. When Jesus says, take courage, it's okay, don't freak out, ego a me, anyone would have heard. That's God. That's what God says. That's God's name. What's he doing? Jesus intending to pass by much like the glory of God and Moses tucked away in the rock somewhere because he can't handle it. Jesus announcing, it is me, I am, and the resonances, those little echoes of, wait, what? That's, that's God language. It's not just Jesus as Moses. It's Jesus here demonstrating himself to be God's own son, to be the person that could take care of things in a totally different way. Who is Jesus? We've seen a couple of different, a couple of different elements here. Yeah, there's that Moses piece where people would have heard all the resonances from the story of the feeding of the 5,000s with Passover and Exodus and Moses and the manna, but they also would have seen Jesus going up to the mountain like Moses would do and praying with God and, and, and all these walking on the water, almost like crossing the Red Sea and just having these weird kind of Moses connections, but it goes beyond that into Jesus as God himself, passing by in the same way that God passed by Moses announcing himself to be the great I am as God did in the Old Testament. Still, though, we can peek ahead into Mark chapter 8, and we're bringing this to a close here. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus feeds another 4,000 people uh, in, in a miracle very much like the one we looked at last week. But still, the disciples don't understand what's going on, and, and Jesus is aware of their discussion where they don't quite, they can't put the pieces together, and he asks them, why are you t- talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered seven. And Jesus concludes, do you still not get it? 
for Mark, these feeding miracles and the breaking of bread and the distributing of them, and this, this miracle was huge because it was demonstrating who Jesus was, but they weren't putting all of the pieces together to see Jesus as better than Moses and Jesus as Messiah, as the one who would, who would answer this. Last week when we talked about the feeding, we talked about Jesus taking bread, breaking bread, blessing the bread, passing it out. And for me, when we, when we see this, we, we can't help but go to that upper room where Jesus is taking the bread, breaking it, passing it out, and saying of that bread, this is my body, it's broken for you. Whenever you're together and you're eating this bread, remember me. Taking the cup, passing amongst his friends, saying this is the, the blood of the new covenant that's shed for you whenever you're together and you're drinking this cup. Remember me. In this story of Jesus walking on the water, it's not just a cool thing that Jesus did. It's not just the Sunday school thing that we've heard where, well, look at that. Jesus is doing some really neat stuff. It's bringing all of these things to the radical conclusion that Jesus himself is God and Jesus is the one who is the good shepherd that will care for you and Jesus is the one who is able to answer all of the needs that you have and Jesus is the one who cares, desperately cares for your redemption, your reconciliation, your restoration. Jesus is the one that sees you in the middle of the lake striving and straining and rowing the boat going nowhere and he wants to tell you, I am God. He wants to be present with you. When you think about communion, what it is, is this, it's this picture of death and resurrection, yes, but it's also a picture of God's presence with you here and now. The broken bread and the cup symbolizes a life that was poured out for you, a life that desperately wants to be with you and in you and to work through you. And this story of Jesus walking on water is so radical that he sees his folks in trouble and he wants to demonstrate that he is present with them even in the midst of disaster and struggle and trial. I don't know where you guys are tonight. I don't know what the things are that are holding you back. I don't know what the things are that are causing you to stay up late. I don't know what the things are that are causing you to have doubts, but I want to commend to you that in this very act, which we're getting ready to observe, in the breaking of bread and the dipping in the cup, we are all uniting together through Jesus. We're uniting ourselves together through his broken body and his shed blood. And it's my hope that in these next few minutes as we observe that, we can begin to ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus? Is he just some guy that did some cool party tricks? Or is he the guy that is present with you, wanting to be with you, wanting to guide you, wanting to help you, wanting to mold you and shape you to do the great things that he's asking you to do?